Welcome to On the Up and Up. I'm your host, Kira LaForgia, and every week I'm bringing you behind the scenes of running a successful business. Join me while we laugh, learn, and connect on mostly HR inappropriate topics with successful founders, diverse leaders, and kick-ass employees. It's true, your HR lady may have fired your bestie or made you sign a love contract, but we also have all the hot gossip that will make you better at your job. Whether you're on your way up the corporate ladder, are a fellow HR villain, or are building a culture as a rising entrepreneur. Welcome to On the Up and Up. I'm so excited for today's topic because a lot of times when we're working with clients or I'm talking to business friends or um, just in general, even managing my employees or helping to educate my managers and directors to get better and better at their jobs of managing others, it can be really interesting to see how much we underplay the impact that culture is having on our day-to-day experience as leaders. So in today's episode, we're primarily talking about how culture impacts the onboarding process for new team members and employees. And throughout this episode, it's not going to be so much like do this, this, and that, and more so just I want to draw attention to culture as the intangible driver behind so many things that are going on within your team, within your business, within your relationships that you may not even realize are having an impact on the overall productivity of your team. So today's episode is not going to be about compliance, and it's not going to be about onboarding in regards to like the documents that you need to have people fill out or the I how to I nine verify or anything like that. It while that is all a, a big part of the onboarding process for a team member. When we talk about onboarding, we're really talking about the cultural implications of bringing a new person into the fold of your business, whether it's your first employee or your fiftieth employee, and how that onboarding process starts way earlier than you even believe that it does, and it has nothing to do with paperwork. So while a lot of times people will come to us as HR people because they're thinking they need the help with the paperwork, what ends up happening is the overall big picture discussion about how HR plays a role within your business and within building intentional cultures around your team. And this can be really difficult and feel even more intangible when it comes to a remote team. So best case scenario, you found this before you ever started hiring. What the more likely scenario is, is you may have a couple of team members, you have a few contractors, um, you have a larger team, you're a manager within a bigger corporation that's trying to make the onboarding process better, or maybe you're even suffering from being in a work environment that doesn't have a holistic or um, really people-driven culture and you want to be a part of that change. So while we are going to start with the best case scenario, which is like, oh, I think I need to hire within the next few months. Here's how I can do that and create a culture-driven onboarding process for my team before I ever bring someone in or before I ever take over as a new manager of a team. Most of the time, you're going to be we're going to be meeting you somewhere halfway. So we're going to talk about culture-driven onboarding as if it's the perfect scenario situation. But the likelihood that that's happening for you is really different. It's probably going to be us meeting you a little bit more of where you're at, um, whether you whether this is something that you've never thought about before or something that you're starting to consider, just know that you can make a really culturally impactful process in onboarding no matter where your new team members are. So just even though we're going to be starting out in the most ideal situation, when we are taking those few steps back, 
definitely file those away for later. Bookmark this episode. You know, think about how these that onboarding impacts things. But realistically, try to take more the message from the outline of this perfect case scenario for onboarding a new remote team member from the ground up. So this episode really is not about compliance, even though a lot of times people will come to us for those reasons, like I said. We really want to talk a little bit more about how your onboarding process is impacting the overall culture of your company through the actions that you're taking within the individuals on your team, even if there's just a few of them. So I want to make sure that we're really focused on how onboarding starts before you even make the decision to hire that person and how to best prepare your company and best prepare your team for a new employee to come in and really have the biggest and most impactful success through a culture-driven onboarding process. So we want to make sure that at the end of the day, while building a culture is beautiful and great, the reason that our culture is important is not just because it's fun to be there and it's fun to work there, although those are great byproducts of a good culture, but the benefits of an excellent remote team culture is actually the productivity and the accomplishments of the team members as a whole through the success of your business. So while we do like to talk about the intangibles of culture and all of the positive things that come along with being a part of a really amazing work culture and community, as leaders, we also cannot take our eye off the ball in regards to the point of all of this is to make sure that we are cultivating and creating an environment in which our teams can be productive and help be functional members of the ecosystem of the company to be successful, to make more money, to get better paychecks um, so that it opens up the door for more more culturally driven initiatives like parties, trips, retreats, you know, education, continuing education, whatever it is that you value within the, the construct of the way that you've built your company. So those kind of push and pull a little bit there, you know, especially when we're talking about cultural cultural implications specifically, there is a lot of, I guess they may be called like soft skills that come with developing a culture, but a really smart leader and a really aware leader understands that the soft skills that come with building a culture are actually going to be the things that feed those hard skills that create real black and white success, aka more revenue, more money, more success, higher employee retention, um, lower client acquisition costs, lower recruiting costs, things like that. So we're really going to talk a little bit today about how the onboarding process doesn't just positively affect the feeling and the intangibles of being in a remote work environment with a solid culture, but also the bottom line of the business. So those things are intrinsically aligned. They go hand in hand. And it's very clear and very evident that the more businesses put a focus on the intangible culture, the more success they're going to have with the money that they're putting into their team and the better ROI they're going to get for a company as a whole. So I know this episode isn't really all about all of that stuff. If you need to see proof of the way that people-driven cultures make more money, diversity-driven cultures make more money, et cetera, et cetera, there's plenty of of information out there. But we're walking into this episode with a mutual understanding that that is the truth. So just know that while there may seem to be some debate out there about these things, most people, especially 
in the organizational leadership space, in the entrepreneurship space, in the business space that are really successful, building modern cultures and people that have done really well in leading remote teams, especially after the pandemic and into a time frame where remote culture is so important. The companies that are embracing that modality of learning and those that modality of adapting their ideals to and ideologies and internal structures to building a really strong people first culturally um, driven onboarding for their teams and culturally driven experience overall for their teams are going to be more successful. And you're going to hear about those companies being more successful in the long term. I'm not saying that you know, there isn't any correlation. But at the end of the day, we're walking into this episode with the mutual understanding and acceptance of the idea that a strong culture creates a better bottom line. So knowing that, that will color the way that we're going to talk about the four stages of culturally driven onboarding. This can be applied to in-person teams as well. um, But given the I guess, area in which a lot of us entrepreneurs are working, the remote workspace is where we fall a lot of the times, especially when we're talking about running digital businesses, a lot of small businesses. So just thinking about these four steps on the way to culture-driven onboarding, know that it is relevant in an in-person setting, but we're really going to focus on the more difficult way to build a culture, which is through the remote process of bringing on a team member, setting cultural expectations, and really setting the foundation for them to be successful in a remote environment. So if you're able to adapt all of these techniques and steps into your onboarding in an in-person environment, you're still going to find a lot more ease in building that culture. Um, But keep in mind that we're going to talk primarily about the remote work environment today because it is a lot harder to create a cohesive culture from that jumping off point. Um, So I want to talk about those four stages. Before we jump in, I just want to say that If you're the type of person that's a quick start, that's ready to go, that is thinking about their next hire, that's dropping a Google Doc onto LinkedIn and saying, does anybody know anyone who's interested, that kind of a thing, this is going to challenge that feeling of taking messy action. And the reason is because there are so many opportunities for culturally driven impact in the pre-hire process. So that first stage of our four steps of the culture-driven onboarding is going to be the pre-hire or candidacy process. Now, there are two benefits to starting your culture culture building, I guess we would call it, in the pre-hire process. The first is that it's free. So at this point, you may be investing in hiring, you may be investing in recruiting, things like that. But the cultural pieces that you're dropping along the way through this process are actually free. You're not paying people yet. So anything that they're absorbing from your business or from your business's point of view is free of charge for you to put out there. So it's just a smart move to make sure that the different elements of that pre-hire process are pushing forward your cultural motivations. They're pushing forward your intentions for the role. They're, they're, we're using this as a, a way to train and adapt our potential new employee into our culture prior to even getting on a call with any of us. So being able to really extend your cultural process into prior 
prior steps before people are even bring, being brought on your team is not only extremely cost effective, but it also is setting that first foundational layer of your candidate's impact with your business, which means that it is very important. So we all know how important first impressions are for candidates, but they're also incredibly important for companies. So being able to utilize the pre-hire process, including the job post or even pre-interview process, um, once they're on calls, going through the interview process and all the way up until the offer and negotiation process, there are cultural markers all along the way that your potential candidates are going to be picking up on. So I'm not saying go out there and make this the most exceptional, um, professional, refined, perfect, beautiful, impressive process. What we actually want to do is show the the authenticity and the genuine nature of the company and the culture through those steps. So if your company, I'm going to use a really extreme example, is a total shit show and it's just super creative and it's really bright and it's really fun, but it's a little chaotic and it's got, you know, a lot of people doing a lot of positions and everybody's in each other's business and you know, that's a really extreme example. I don't know how well that would work, but, you know, hypothetically speaking, I'm just going extremes to make the point. Then we don't want people going through a process that is so buttoned up and narrow and and clean and straightforward and, you know, lacking any type of personality or real genuine culture for the company if they're going to be hired and then be immediately thrust into this more chaotic environment. So consider the fact that you want to embrace the culture that you already have while also being really articulate and clear about the way that you want to move your culture. So maybe things are really chaotic now and you have a couple of really key people on your team that are also really driven to moving in the direction of having a little bit more structure and accountability within your culture. Weave that wish list into the way that you're going to be presenting your company, but don't be inauthentic so that you're your new employee is, doesn't have the rug pulled out from under them once they are hired. So just as much as we want to make sure that we are getting the most authentic version of our candidates in order to make a really informed and productive hiring decision, we also owe our candidates the same exact experience to make sure that we're representing our companies truthfully and authentically but also using this as an opportunity to bring someone into your company that is going to reflect not only the culture that you have now and be comfortable and okay and expectant of that, but also the culture that you want to build. And a lot of you are listening to this knowing that you are in the process of building your culture, maybe even for the first time. And so you want to make sure and consider that if this is your fifth, sixth, seventh, tenth employee, that is still 10% or more of your entire workforce. So what they are expecting coming in, as well as the impact that they can make with their expertise, their experience, their personality, and their viewpoint is going to impact your culture as a whole, whether you are ready for it or not. So making sure that through that pre-hiring candidacy process, you're being authentic and genuine to who you are as an employer is something that I don't see a lot of companies talking about. And we will often you know, work with people that are have been given certain types of hiring advice in small business that isn't necessarily relevant. Um, so one of those things is I recently heard advice that you're not supposed to ask about someone's personal life, meaning the hobbies, the things that they're interested, the books that they're interested in, the books that they like to read, what they like to do for fun when you're interviewing them because you want to stay focused on their skills and experience. But in small business, that's really bad advice because you want to make sure that the personality and the interests are things 
things that you can mutually respect, even if you don't have them in common, and making sure that you can create an environment where your employee is going to be comfortable bringing their full self to work more so than in a corporate environment where we're taught to stifle who we might be and show up in the way that the company wants us to. We're creating small business and small business cultures. A lot of you listening to this may even have a microcosm within your company, so your team in which you're creating a culture. And because of that, the individual people that you have on your team and the interests they have and what they care about, what motivates them, their values are important to the hiring process. Now, of course, we don't want to use those things to discriminate against them. But at the end of the day, we do want to make sure that there is going to be some alignment and some type of, I guess mutually beneficial understanding of their interests and experience. Now, of course, you don't want to go so far into saying, talking about people's families or if they have kids or, you know, things of that nature. But I think that it is really important that when you're building a culture and if you are in charge of having a group of small people, 15 people or less on your team, that you are also including what is important to your culture with the questions that you're asking them and not following those blanket statements of like, who cares what they're interested in? You're hiring them based on merit. Well, those things can go together. It's not one or the other. And actually, that's just a kind of a a little bit of a shortcut and it's shortchanging the impact that your business, your work, your your company's culture can have on your team. It's it's not giving it the full extent of allowing people to show up fully as who they are to work. So being able to find that compatibility through the interview process, I personally prefer to have it be a little bit more like, here's our culture. Here's what you can walk into. Here's what we're going to talk about in meetings. Here's who the type of people that you're going to be interacting with. You're going to make friends. You're going to make uh, lifelong friends sometimes in your work environments, even faraway friends, things like that. Um, and if we're creating those culture and we're allowing our potential candidates to see through that first stage, the pre-hiring candidacy process, then we're letting them make the decision on whether or not they can bring their full selves to work. So little things like that, that can happen even from the job post to how you're talking about your company to the way that you're describing the tasks that they're doing to the way that you might center the experience of the employee to the benefits that you offer that might be a little bit different from other companies. And those are really low cost ways to show what you value within your company. So for example, if you were to offer like a, the Headspace app, that just shows that you are a company that really values people's mental health. Not to get too confused with it, but maybe you offer the Everand app or the the company pays for a um, membership to Headway, which is super similar to Headspace, where you can get bite-sized personal and professional development type podcast things um, as part of your employment there. It's showing a value in that personal and professional development, that value in consuming and listening to and reading information. And it's giving your candidates an insight into the culture that you are trying to build and the things that you think are important. So I know that you know, within this pre-hire process, there's a few different areas. We talked about the job post and how you can represent your company in that way. We've also talked a little bit about the interview process. So making sure that the way that you or your company's representatives are communicating with your potential new team members through the interview process, make sure they're not putting on a mask. Allow your interviewing, your people who are interviewing the candidates to show up fully as themselves too. Make sure that they're educated and aware of the things that you can and can't talk about through the employment interview process. But at the same point, 
try to encourage your people to show up fully as who they are because that will be a really good indicator of how your new employee is going to perceive, get along with, um, have a personality match, you know, that kind of stuff with the team that you already have. So it makes there, a li- there be a little bit less friction and a little bit more of an opportunity to start setting the standard for what's expected of your new team member through their personality, through their interactions, through the way that you communicate just by participating in the interview process. It's a really great way to to start training a team member on the way that your culture is to run um, without even having to pay them. I mean, you're not they're not even being paid yet. So you might as well make the most of it. Now, we talked a little bit about the difference between small business and corporations and how there's going to be different impacts based on, you know, you might be a manager that just gets team members assigned to you and then you have to create a culture from there. So keeping in mind that even that onboarding experience of being brought onto your team within the confines of a bigger corporation, maybe you didn't choose this person, you didn't hire them, you didn't interview them, et cetera. And maybe your team culture is a little bit different than the corporation as a whole, consider that to be an onboarding process as well when you're bringing them into the fold of your team? How can you make sure that you're using every interaction to set an expectation and set a tone for how you want your internal team culture to look and feel if it's in within a microcosm of a larger sc- uh, scope of corporate you know, environment or whatever the case may be? Then finally, if you are the person that's doing the hiring, that pre-hire candidacy process allows for quite a bit of interaction within the offer process and the negotiation process. So in big corporate environments, you know, you may not have a really big role in this, but for small businesses, you likely will have a large role in the offer and negotiation. So being really cognizant of the language that you're using and the promises that you're making, being really honest about the upward mobility of a position, the growth potential of a position, the making sure there's consistency and messaging from the job post to the job description, to the interview process, to the offer letter, making sure that there's open communication within the entire hiring committee from the CEO down to the manager about what's promised for each individual employee, and make sure that those benefits really mean something how you're going to implement them, if there is a waiting period, what the employee can come to expect. All of that should be handled prior to them even being hired so that by the time you get to what we consider to be one of the most critical and key components of a new hire's um, initiation into a company or a team is that orientation, which is considered your employment kickoff. This is when you're actually paying the team member. They've accepted the offer. They understand the pay, they understand the benefits, they understand the logistics behind all of it. Now it's really all about how and why we behave in a certain way. So there's a few different elements to orientation. Number one, your cultural identifiers, the who, what, where, when, high, why, and the beginning of the how we interact with each other. So even in just a very intentional one-hour orientation, you can cover so many of these cultural identifiers to help to establish a baseline on which the employee can continue to work. So it removes a lot of question marks and it removes a lot of uncertainty, Um, It removes some anxiety and it really sets a stage for them to understand what's coming. Be careful not to sugarcoat things in this process. So especially in the pre-hire process, but also in that initial employment kickoff, be as honest and transparent as possible when it comes to those cultural identifiers of your business. You can even be so clear as to say, our culture feels a little bit like this right now, but we're moving in this direction. And here's how you can embody those cultural identifiers as you move forward. Second, we have our policies and procedures. You want your employees to understand their rights as employees. You also want them to understand that 
you are a real company, you are a real team, and you take this really seriously. So as often as we bring people onto our team, and as easy come and easy go as sometimes it feels, a lot of times a first day of work for a new employee is a big deal. Their families know about it, their parents, their siblings, sometimes even their kids. You know, They have an awareness of this is your first day of work. Congratulations. This is a great accomplishment to get this job, to be a part of this amazing company. So we want to make sure that we're setting those foundational steps for the policies and procedures as well. Not just because we want them to know the rules, but also so that they can understand their rights and how they are able to operate while still maintaining maintaining their own individualization, their own way to communicate with each other, and being able to be as innovative and bringing ideas to the forefront as possible. So having those policies and procedures really stand up behind your company as the bad ho- bad cop behind your company, but giving them the awareness of those things that they're going to follow. We're not just reading rules off a list. We're helping them understand that as serious as this job is to them, their employment here is serious to us too, which is why small businesses really need to make sure that you have HR as your first hire prior to your first employee. That's a conversation for another day. Um, your team and coworker interaction. So your your orientation can be something that really shows the how your team and coworkers interact with one another. So whether that be just talking about the team members they have on the team, setting up different types of scenarios in which they can pop into orientation here and there, um, even something as simple as starting orientation on time and ending on time and being able to say, this was a one hour block. It looks like we're coming up on time. So I just want to make sure that we get any last questions out of the way because we want to be on a really strict schedule. If your company is a little bit more loosey goosey and you tend to go over time on meetings or you chit chat a lot or whatever the case may be, <laughs> our culture, um, then it's okay to be like, yeah, this orientation is going to be anywhere from 60 to 90 minutes. We want to make sure we have time to get to know each other, ask questions, things like that, so that they really understand and expect that that is the way that the culture works at this company. It's not going to be start and end and start and end and you know, that kind of a thing. But if you are a little bit more focused on that, then this is a great opportunity for you to lay out those um, types of expectations just in how you run the orientation or how your HR team runs the orientation. And that's what HR is trained to do to make sure that we are weaving in different cultural elements while also helping people to feel comfortable and to understand their expectations so that they can be as successful as possible for your company. Finally, that orientation step, that phase two of your culture-driven onboarding process is also where you're going to be able to show how your team and coworker interaction lies. So how you interact as a CEO with them, if you're a person that shows up to orientation, answers questions, talks about your mission, talks about your vision, talks about your passion and what you want to build. You know, if that's something that's really centralized in your company, especially if it's a growing company, make time to be at those orientations if you can. Secondary to that is just making sure that your team members are speaking up here and there if there are questions that they have. If you're stopped, there's even little differences that you can make where you keep your Q&A all the way toward the end and you encourage your team members or your new team members to write down any questions they have. That is going to be a different type of culture than stopping after every slide and seeing if anybody has any questions about what's being brought up here. Um, But making sure that every employee is walking out with a really solid understanding of their high-level purpose within the company themselves, the company's high-level purpose, and 
a general overview of the way that the HR piece and the functionality works within the company. The HR piece does contribute directly to culture. So being able to outline that takes that intangible cultural feeling and it puts it into practice via the orientation. So the third phase is just the acclimation to the company, making sure that throughout the onboarding process, there is that initial pre-hire piece that they're bringing little pieces of information and little nuggets and crumbs along the way to picking up what it is like to work at your company and the culture that you've created. The second application is in orientation and making sure they have a really solid employment kickoff where you're taking your company seriously, as well as their new job as seriously as you want them to take it. Then the third step, the acclimation to the company, the team systems, and all the different things that we do in order to run our teams, making sure that there is time for them to do one-on-one with team members, to understand the flow of performance reviews, to understand when they're going to be talked about with their performance reviews, what they should be preparing and bringing with them for their one-on-ones each week or every two weeks or every month or what you're calling those things. You know, every every team is going to have a different vernacular that they're going to use in order to identify different areas of their processes and their culture. So we have one company, super fun, Um, It's very sports themed. So they have their team huddles, but then they also have like their team kickoff and, you know, little things like that, that ties into the kind of sporty nature of the company. We think that's really fun to build out cultures like that. Um, But being able to, regardless if they're really fun or you're just like paradigm and we call them performance reviews, we call them one-on-ones, you know, that kind of a thing. Um, Team meetings, like we're very straightforward. We're not that creative. Um, We are HR people after all. But those cultural norms and that integration into that language and vernacular through facilitating one-on-one meetings, you know, things like that. Now, a quick note, if you're building an in-person culture, making sure that your new employees during their onboarding never have to eat lunch alone. So whether it's just like making sure that they know where to go, having you as the CEO, a manager, something like that, making sure that, you know, you're setting aside some time to make sure that they don't feel left out, making introductions, really opening your arms, regardless of what kind of culture you have, to making sure that people feel welcome. It doesn't matter if you're a warm and cuddly and bubbly culture, as long as your team member feels welcome during their first interactions with your team, especially in person, that can be a huge game changer for their longevity within the company. So making sure that we're setting aside time to do that and to understand that that is going to be a little bit more important than most of the things that you're going to be doing as a manager, just in kind of putting front and center the community building aspect of having a team overall. It doesn't matter if that culture is a little bit more dry, straightforward to the point and just about work. You still want people to feel comfortable showing up as their full selves. Finally, that third phase or that third stage of a culture-driven onboarding, especially for remote teams, is training and development. So remember that onboarding doesn't just start with the job post, and it also doesn't just end with the orientation and the one-on-ones with team members. We want to make sure that we're carrying that onboarding and that learning environment all the way through their employment, but especially within the first 90 days to six months. And this is because even if they're coming in with a full spectrum of skills that you need within your company, it's still important to make sure that you're touching base and driving all of those skills towards the results that you want to see within your own company and within how you see them using those skills. So if a if an employee comes in and they're completely qualified and they're ready to rock on their first day, that's amazing, but that doesn't mean that we abandon them. So regardless of what your culture is, make sure that you are using culturally informed practices to create training and development programs that are ongoing outside of the traditional 
you know, first few days training process. And the reason for this is that you are going to use all of these touch points and opportunities to set a tone of a feedback culture so that people are prepared and excited about getting feedback throughout their entire experience here. The reason for this isn't because we just want people to be better and better at their job, but it's also to reinforce and to basically show the value of cultural behaviors and the way that behaviors interact with our culture. So whether you're in remote or in person, the in-person interactions are going to feel a little bit more natural. You're going to follow, you know, walk by somebody at the coffee machine. You're going to hang out with them at the water cooler in the break room, you know, grabbing lunch, uh, walking in and out of the office, saying your good morning, saying your, you know, how was your weekend? All of those types of things. Um, so keeping in mind that there is going to be a lot of opportunity to do that in person, but in the remote environment, sometimes we need to make sure that we are creating intentional pathways for that communication. So while it may seem really straightforward and it may seem really, um, like obvious, I guess, that you would be having these touch points with your new team members. Being able to phrase that in a training development standpoint is one of those things that I think will help you to create a growth mindset on your team. Now, whether your culture is driven towards a growth mindset or not, uh, we do want to make sure that you're still cultivating space for that because it's universally accepted that a growth mindset is an integral piece of a successful company culture, an integral piece of of a successful employee. It's also an integral piece of retaining an employee and keeping them engaged in their job and their employee engagement. So even if your culture isn't super driven towards a growth mindset, being able to put together training and development checkpoints like skills assessments, abilities checkpoints, feedback, 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 you know, integrating them into different projects, making sure that there's a variety of assignments and tasks that you're going to be, you know, checking out and doing quality assurance and giving lots of feedback. There's going to be an an opportunity for you to shape the employee's perspective and brain in a way that is going to show up with a growth mindset every day so that you're also setting yourself up to have a team that's fully integrated and engaged in the overall purpose of the company. So facilitating that growth mindset is key in the onboarding process. So while we don't ever want to tell somebody how their culture should be, that's the one thing that I will die on at the end of the day. Our clients want to have a growth mindset within their team. They want engaged people that are going to show up fully as themselves. They want permission to build company cultures that feel and look different. They also want to make sure that this starts from the beginning. So it's really hard to onboard someone in a very mediocre way and then try to pull it back after a few months if they're not performing in the way that you want them to or they're not as engaged as you wanted them to. A lot of times we see when employees start to quote unquote fail, it's usually a failure of the management to cultivate an environment where they're able to coach and cultivate a growth environment from the beginning. They try to take a few steps back and start coaching them once they start making mistakes, providing negative feedback, and then trying to fix the problem. And because we didn't spend a lot of time making sure we went through these four culture-driven onboarding sections, there isn't permission for those leaders to step in and change the way that they're leading their team because they haven't taught their team that this is how we approach and you're safe to make mistakes and this is how we direct and refocus our problems. So it seems like there is no communication 
turns into negative communication and turns into a shutdown and a move on because they're not as engaged or entrenched in the culture of the company. So it's kind of easy come, easy go for these employees. So keeping in mind that while it does feel like a lot of extra work to bring on an employee in the right way, we are talking about things that can happen prior to their hire. The first hour, their orientation is that second phase. That acclimation period, introducing them to team members can be just a few more hours or a couple more days of quick one-on-ones on calendars, um, a couple of extra training sessions just to get to know each other, walking through our project management system or our files or our client delivery, or even just walking through some of our testimonials and website, little things like that that doesn't take too much prep on your part, but gives them a window insight into the acclimation that they're taking to the company as that third phase. And then finally, that training and development. Walking through all four of those phases creates an environment where your employee is going to be ready to receive feedback. They're going to be excited about it. They're going to be engaged. And that training and development could last a couple of hours a week for eight weeks. It could be six months. It could just be a touch point here and there based on different tasks that you're assigning. But making sure that you have that constant, strong, and Really, I think of it like a rope or a thread between you and your remote employee that creates a communication pipeline so that you can bring up feedback to them when you need to. It can be emotional. It can be difficult. They're also allowed to make mistakes. You know, those cultural points are going to be different within every company, but being able to create a space where they're, you're not just bringing them on board and then cutting that rope or cutting that tie between you and your new team member, but making sure that you're enriching it and that bond continues to grow. And it's really filtered in through cultural elements and things that you are really intentional about. You also just want to make sure that you're you're showing up in the best way that you can as a leader, but it also creates a back and forth communication so that your team can actually tell you what they need from you too. So it's a nice way to integrate these different approaches to a culture-driven driven onboarding, depending on what type of team you have and what type of team you want to run. Um, okay. So those four stages are all going to be listed in the show notes as well as um, a couple of our resources. So make sure that you check that out. And I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, make sure you leave a review. But other than that, feel free to reach out on Instagram or via email and just let us know other things that you want to hear a little bit more about or some of the pieces of this episode that you found really helpful or even if you found them a little confusing and we can dive in a little bit more. But we will see you back here next week on Wednesday for a brand new episode of On the Up and Up. Happy culture building. If you're listening to this, you've stuck with me for this entire episode. And for that, I say thank you. I hope you found as much value in this week's topic as I do. If so, be sure to follow, rate, and review on the Up and Up podcast. You'll be helping others find the fun in HR too. Follow us on social media and join us next Wednesday for your weekly dose of On the Up and Up.